This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, as we move farther into St. Luke, we cover the Benedictus Part 2, Nativity of Jesus, Shepherds and Angels, Visit of the Shepherds, Circumcision and Presentation. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. We are on the side of science. We want to have the full and complete and honest and forthright description of prenatal human beings to be the one that gets out there. We want to call out the gaslighting, anti-science, dishonest approach. For liberal democracy to work, it requires self-government. And for people to be self-governed, they have to have virtue. And virtue in a kind of a classical tradition and understood even at our founding, the source of virtue was found in religion. But when we open our eyes in death, we will see Jesus. And on that face is a smile, not a scowl. When we close our eyes in death, we will open them and our ears will be filled with the hymns of the angels. A lot of Christians talk about worship as us serving God, but the Lutheran emphasis is that God serves us through his word, through the sacrament. This is Will from Michigan, and I'm a Lutheran high school teacher and football coach. And I love beginning my day listening to issues, etc. All right, guys, let's go. What are we to make of the fact that John the Baptist, while still in his mother's womb, appears to have faith? He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit acting today apart from baptism? Is there an incident in the book of Acts that provides evidence for that? And what about speaking in tongues? When Christians today speak in tongues, are they doing what was happening in that book of Acts? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin, coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to spend some time with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer and Pastor Brian Wolfmiller responding to your unanswered Bible questions. We'll do listener email on the Issues Etc. comment line. Pastor Tom Baker of Law and Gospel will join us to teach a Sunday school lesson on the wise men coming to worship the baby Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. And then we will review the Star Wars TV series Andor with Pastor Ted Geese. He teaches a course for Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary titled A Lutheran Approach to Art, Media, and Film. Yesterday, we had Pastors Brian Ketchelmeyer and Brian Wolfmiller respond to your unanswered Bible questions. Pastor Ketchelmeyer is pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, and author of the book Reading Isaiah with Luther. And Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel Wolfmiller One, and he's author of several books, including Has American Christianity Failed? Let's pick up where we left off with a question from Dan in Wisconsin. For Pastor Ketchelmeyer, after reading again about John's in-the-womb reaction to the Lord's coming to visit in the Gospel of Luke, I got something stuck in my head. I know this scripture has been used to give comfort to parents of children who die before being born, but is this also at odds with our being sinful from the time our mother conceived us? It seems as though John must have been given the gift of faith to have this reaction, but he certainly hadn't been baptized yet. Any help clearing this up would be great. My assumption is that we, he would have heard the word while in the womb, and that would bring him to faith, but that's a very circumstantial bit of reasoning. Pastor Ketchumar. 
Well, a couple of thoughts here off the top of my head is that, first of all, I mean, I I can understand this completely as a father. I mean, we had four live births, but we lost five children in the womb. I mean, so I've been there. I, I know exactly what's going on, the pain of having the gift of life conception in the womb, but then that life never actually fully being seen outside of the womb in birth. So I I can understand just that that pain that's there about what do you do? I mean, you look to Scripture, you know that God is the God of life. He is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Christ is the resurrection of life. So we know that, and that's where our focus is upon, always upon the Son, the Son of God who comes to give life where there is death, the one who gives hope where there is none. And this is where we want to look. Yes, of course, what happened with John the baptizer in the womb is something unique, but it does give to us an indication that, yes, faith that God gives as a gift can be given inside that womb between conception and birth, and that faith is a gift from God. What we know in the ordinary things of life is the way that God orders things in which he uses these instrumental means, the means of grace. Uh, He uses baptism, and baptism is given to us as a, a sign, meaning that it's something visible, something tangible that's attached to the word of God, the promise. So you have water that's tangible, visible, but it's attached to that word of God, which makes it a life giving water. And so that baptism is something that's given to us as a gift to assure us that we have the promises, that we have been crucified with Christ, we have been united into his death, buried with him in baptism, and raised again to newness of life and his resurrection. So we have that promise outside of the womb. Okay, But when you're inside of the womb, you don't have that promise attached to baptism itself. And so, yes, there is this this kind of this pain of, well, what does that mean? But yes, in that passage, we do see where God is, is giving, of course, obviously, faith to John the baptizer, that in the womb, this is the Lord. He knows. And so we see in this that the Lord, of course, is the one who gives faith. He is the one who is the author of life. He's the one that knows how all of this works. I mean, just like uh, Luther, when he's comforting those who had lost children, who may be a stillborn, the baby dies in the womb, the womb becomes the tomb or, you know, comes out, it doesn't live very long. That Just like in the Old Testament, where God had put things into order, into place with the whole right of circumcision, in which this was the sign of righteousness itself, that you would wait eight days. Well, of course, if a child had died before eight days, God himself, who is the author of life, knew that child was going to die before eight days. And so God is the one who gives life. God is the one who gives life uniquely to each individual. And in particular, when you have believers within the church, we're constantly, we're praying. I mean, we're praying for the church at large, is praying for women who are now bearing children, women who now have children within the womb, that God who gives that life would continue to sustain that life and would sustain that life in body and soul. And so we always look to the hope and the hope of Jesus who gives life where there's death. That's what we want, okay? So that's really where our focus is going to be, that he is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. But we we don't want to speculate and get into all these different realms where God hasn't given to us a, a clear testimony of Scripture. 
And that's, again, why with baptism, it's such a comforting thing when a child is baptized. Because when a child is baptized, you know the child has that promise. And it was the intent of the parents, assuming that this was a Christian family, to baptize the child, but were not able to. Just like in the Old Testament, the intent was to have the the male child to be circumcised after eight days, but God, who knew that child wasn't going to last eight days, took that life before that time came. So we always put things back into the hands of God, and we know that for the sake of Christ, God is merciful towards us. And so we always want to look at God with the Father, with the Son. We don't want to look at the Father without the Son. And so you have a God who is not eternal Father, a God who does not have an eternally begotten Son. Then you have just the God of wrath, and we have a God who is then we are enmity with because of our sin, but in Christ we have been reconciled. So we always want to put our eyes on Jesus. One of the things that Dan is worried about with this question is that the idea that the Word can create faith in an infant in the womb would contradict original sin, but... Remember that every time the word creates faith, even in those who are born or those who are 100 years old, it's fighting against our own sinful flesh. So we confess that children are conceived and born sinful, that every person is sinful, and yet the word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to sinners and forgives them and cleanses them and brings the Holy Spirit. And I'd add a couple of verses. Now, this one is a little bit of a stretch because it's mostly about Jesus. Psalm 22, verse 10 where Jesus himself prays, I was cast on you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. There's also a lot of comfort in Psalm 71, verses 5 and 6. You are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. What does that mean? By you I've been upheld from my birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My praise shall be continually of you. So we know that the Lord does not start being God when we're born. He's our God from beginning all the way to the end, from the moment of conception. So I think this is a great text to rejoice that the Lord's word can create faith from the very beginning, from our earliest moments until the very end. This goes back to that whole question we had, the distinction between belief and faith and how that works. Well, in the Old Testament, there are two different words that are used. I mean, here in Psalm 22, this is the word batak. Okay, batak is trust or confidence. And it's in Psalm 22 where it says, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. And then it's contrasted with the infant. Yet you are he who took me from the womb and you made me trust you at my mother's breast. That, that, that contrast there is between both an infant child from the womb, within the womb where there's life, and of course those outside the womb who have that gift of this ability to trust. And that's how we're translating here, this batak. So this is trusting. But it, it's not trusting in the abstract. It's always trusting in the promise. And that promise is always tied to Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes out of the womb, and he's the one who comes out of the tomb. So that's where our focus is always going to be. But in the Old Testament, you do have a contrast between these words of batak, which is trust or confidence, and aman, or where we get the word amen. Because that's uh, like that's used, of course, in Genesis chapter fifteen or Habakkuk chapter two four about being declared righteous, about being justified by faith. That's Amon, okay? That they they believed God and He counted it to them as righteousness. So in the Old Testament, there is a contrast between belief and trust, but yet they're used synonymously. I mean, so these words are used interchangeably, but there are two different words there. Pastor Wolf Miller Mercedes says in Acts 8, 14 through 17, believers receive the Holy Spirit separated from the water of baptism. Why? 
I think the best way to understand the laying on of hands in the book of Acts is to understand it in the context of ordination. So in Acts chapter 8, they had been ministered to by a deacon. And so the apostles go down. Philip, I think, was there or Peter. They go down to Samaria and they lay on hands and they receive the Holy Spirit. And I think the easiest way to take that there and also in the whole book of Acts, especially where we see the miraculous gifts of the Spirit and the speaking in tongues, which occurs four times, is to have it in connection with the office of preaching. So they were Christians down there. They had been baptized. They had received the Holy Spirit to confess Jesus as Lord. We know that because Paul tells us no one can say Jesus as Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. So they had the Holy Spirit for the work of confessing the faith, believing in Christ and all the fruits of the Spirit. But now the it's Peter who goes down and lays on his hands. And now they have preachers who are going to preach in their midst and strengthen them in the faith that they've already received. And this is a really important point for when we read the Bible and when we think of the Holy Spirit. We recognize that the Holy Spirit comes to us for the different offices that he gives. So when we're baptized, we receive the Holy Spirit who strengthens us in our, if you can let me say it this way, just for the point of teaching, for the office of being a Christian, for the office of being a child of God, for the office of having faith and believing in him. And every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't believe in Jesus. You wouldn't confess him as Lord. Every Christian has the fruits of the Spirit in this way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit is working in every single Christian. But then when the Lord calls us into different and unique offices, the Holy Spirit now comes upon us to give us strength for those offices. Most importantly, the office of preaching. That's why when a pastor is ordained, all the other pastors gather around and lay their hands on him and pray for the Holy Spirit. And I always think of the kid sitting in back, leans over and says to his dad, I think we should have called a pastor who had the Holy Spirit already. (laughs) Well, he had the Holy Spirit already, we hope. But now the Holy Spirit comes for the strength and the gifts needed and the endurance and the sufficiency required for the office. The same reason why we lay hands on the confirmands and bless them as they enter into the office of being a public partaker of the body and blood of Jesus. Or the reason we lay hands on husband and wife at their marriage and give them the blessing that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, that the Lord would bless them and keep them. So the Holy Spirit comes upon us as we enter into these new offices. And that is, as best as I read it, that's what's going on in Acts chapter 8. If I could go a little bit further on that and just understand what Pastor Wolfmeyer is saying, is laying this foundational understanding here of this apostolic doctrine. I mean, when you're talking about the apostles, okay, these are the men that Jesus himself put into this apostolic office to be the sent ones, the ones who are sent out. That's what apostolos means, ones who are sent, right? And you begin with the book of Acts, understanding that Jesus is sending them out, and he's going to send them out from Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth. Now, what we have in Acts chapter 8 is this is Samaria, okay? The people of Samaria are being oohed and awed by uh, Simon the magician, (laughs) Simon the one who's doing these signs and wonders. And so they're like, wow, that's special. This is neat. And so they start following him as a teacher. 
as some kind of a spiritual leader, right? But in Samaria, also understand that these are the Samaritans who only have the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. So they don't have the prophets and the Psalms. They don't have that. those three classifications that we talk about, about Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. They just have the five books of Moses. That's all the Samaritans have. And so, yes, they have the faith and that promise that a prophet like Moses would rise up from Deuteronomy chapter 18, but they don't have the totality of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit working through the prophets. So this is what we see in chapter one of the book of Acts. Immediately when somebody needs to take the place place of the apostate. Okay, Judas Iscariot, he leaves this office, and what do they do immediately? They go to Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. They're going beyond the Pentateuch, and they're using this understanding. So they're looking at this, these apostles who have the gift of the Holy Spirit to see Jesus throughout the scriptures, not only the five books of Moses, but the prophets and the, the wisdom, the Psalms themselves. And so this is where you can stand up and say, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And so he points them to Psalm 16 and Psalm 109, that we need to fill this office. Another's going to take the office. His, his camp has become desolate, and there's no one left to dwell in it. Now, of course, if you just looked at those Psalms by themselves, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, that's not the conclusion you would have came to. So it's the Holy Spirit that's opening the eyes to see this apostolic teaching throughout the totality of the scriptures, that it's about Jesus. It's all about his personal work. And so later on, when you have this preaching and the gift of speaking in tongues by the Holy Spirit, of which is proclaiming Jesus into the languages, the tongues of the nations who are gathered there at Jerusalem, you're seeing these signs and wonders. And then what does Peter do immediately? He goes to the prophet Joel, that this is fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had said. And then immediately he goes to Psalm 16, and he goes to Psalm 110 that we were just talking about, the promise of the son of David. See, now the Samaritans don't have that promise of the son of David. They have the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, but they don't have that promised seed is going to come from the tribe of Judah in the house of David. They know that the seed is going to come from Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it kind of ends there. So you're baptized there in Acts chapter uh, 2, verse 38, that you're to repent and be baptized in, in the name of Jesus, receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So all of this is taking place there in this passage so that we understand properly who Jesus is. So by the time you get to uh, Acts chapter uh, 4, again, Peter's being arrested, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's going again to the Psalms. So it, it's this whole point of, of teaching what's what the whole of scriptures are teaching, Jesus. So when you get to Acts chapter 6, and you have Philip and Stephen, who are both filled with the Holy Spirit, who are going out and they're proclaiming this, and of course Stephen becomes that first martyr, and then uh, Philip goes and he's baptizing, that it's the Holy Spirit that is opening up the eyes of the people, the believers who are baptized to see Jesus throughout all of the Old Testament, to see Jesus clearly that this was prophesied, and he is the fulfillment of all of the prophets and all of the Psalms. So I, I think it's, it's tying you to that apostolic teaching, which is different than the Samaritan teaching, and it's definitely different than the teaching of Simon the magician, who doesn't have the scriptures at all. 
Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer is our guest, along with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, responding to your unanswered Bible questions. Joy has a question about speaking in tongues right after this. Someday somebody's gonna ask you A question that you should say yes to Once in your life Maybe tonight I've got a question for you Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org slash worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Silicon Valley is a place of cutting-edge innovation which radically changes lives, where science fiction is already in research and development. In the heart of this digital chaos is a sanctuary of constancy and reverence, Hope Lutheran in Fremont, where nothing is new under the California sun, where the timeless gospel is proclaimed and the sacrament is celebrated with the historic liturgy that truly changes lives. And thanks to Silicon Valley, you may find us on the web at hopelutheranfremont.org. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The schools division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc. At the center of our campus is Kramer Chapel, and there's a reason for that. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Arthur Just. Because it is the heartbeat of Concordia Theological Seminary. It is where we go to hear the voice of Jesus and frequently be fed with the body and blood of Christ. We sometimes call it our Jerusalem. Kramer Chapel points to the classroom, which we sometimes call Athens. It is there that we do theology, biblical studies, systematic theology, practical theology, history. We love theology here, and we love the study of it, and we love coming together in worship It's one of the things that gives us great joy, joy in worshiping, joy in studying theology. Concordia Theological Seminary is all about the joy of being in Jesus. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, ctsfw.edu.
thanks to Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois, Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Cedar Falls, Iowa, Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington, and St. John Lutheran Church in Ray, Michigan, for renewing their memberships in our congregational sponsorship program. Most congregations are preparing their budgets for 2023. Learn how your confessional Lutheran Church can become a congregational sponsor on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. We're answering your unanswered Bible questions with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer and Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. Pastor Wolfmiller Joyce has this one. We have a young man who is baptized confirmed in the LCMS church. For some reason, recently, he's in his early 20s, he left the church and has now joined a church where they have him speaking in tongues. He says he can talk to God in tongues. Can you shed some light on this? Do we speak in tongues now? I know they did in biblical times, but as I understand it, we speak to God in prayer and he speaks to us in his word. Is this church leading this young man astray by telling him he's able to speak in tongues directly to God? Probably. Every example of speaking in tongues, that's a really strong probably, because every example we see in speaking in tongues now is not what was happening in the scriptures. Our verse for this should be Acts chapter 2, which we mentioned earlier, where the Holy Spirit comes on the apostles and they speak the wondrous works of God in languages that they didn't know, but all the people around them did know so that they could understand what was being spoken. In other words, tongues are human languages that were previously unknown to the speaker, but were necessary to preach to the people around them. This is why Paul, when he's giving instructions for speaking in tongues, which was almost always connected to the apostolic hands and to ordination, what we were talking about before, he says that there should not be speaking in tongues if there is not interpretation. In fact, he forbids speaking in tongues if it's not interpreted. What we normally see in the church today is this ecstatic experience where a person begins to speak in gibberish, really, in a language completely unknown, in a non-human language, so that the interpretation also, if there is even an interpretation to be offered, also has to be given by someone who doesn't know the language because it's not even a real language at all. This practice of ecstatic speech is not a Christian practice. It goes back to the ancient Gnostics and to, it's even a Hindu practice. And if you get worked up into a frenzy enough, you can produce this experience. And I think this is the way to understand what's going on in all of these charismatic churches. One of the greatest dangers of the practice is not only does it convince a person to have the pride that they're receiving a new and unique word from God apart from the scriptures, that already is extremely, extremely dangerous. But it also then undercuts the authority of the scripture by saying that the Bible is not enough, that to be a Christian or to be a spiritual Christian or to be a true born again Christian or follower of Christ means that God is revealing new and unique things to you. And it's such a dangerous practice because now how can you contradict it? How could you come along and say to this young man, that the thing that he heard supposedly from God is wrong because it contradicts the scripture. Because after all, he has a direct line from God. I remember talking to someone who was getting direct messages from God 
And I said, this is really inconvenient for me because you get to hear from God, but I have to hear from you. <laughs> it, well, why don't next time you're talking to God, tell him to talk directly to me because you are now placing yourself as an authority above the prophets and the apostles. And so this allure of the charismatic and Pentecostal church to have this direct spiritual contact with God, which manifests itself in speaking in tongues and in direct prophecy is not only not biblical, we can see what Paul promises in 1 Corinthians 13, that tongues will cease and we look for that ceasing. That's the word of God. But also it's very spiritually dangerous. And the difficulty that this person is having in talking to the person is showing really they're particularly sensitive to see how difficult it is to talk to someone who's been swept away by this kind of false teaching. Here we are with this whole understanding, again, of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And we we're just talking about this in the whole book of Acts, that you're baptized and you have the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have that promise. But there are gifts, little g, in a plural, a plurality of gifts that the Holy Spirit is giving us. And this gift of, of understanding, continuing to grow in the knowledge of salvation. So you're baptized and you are taught in this apostolic faith. And so as Pastor Wolf Miller is saying, you, you have this gift of the Holy Spirit, but the gift of tongues is that proclamation so that you are proclaiming the message to people who don't have the Word of God. When you're going to Judea to Samaria, again, Samaria only has a Pentateuch. They don't have the prophets and the Psalms. Then you're going to the ends of the earth. You're going to the Gentiles who don't have the Word of God at all. They don't have the written scriptures. And so the apostles are now proclaiming this verbally and vocally. You have the living voice of God in the preaching as they're going out to the ends of the earth. But then as this is taking place, the Holy Spirit is working through the written word of the Old Testament scriptures, and now the Holy Spirit is inspiring the apostles and the evangelists to write the New Testament scriptures so we can be certain and sure that we're listening to the voice of God. That's the point of the written scriptures. But if you're just going around with gibberish and you just hear a, a bunch of noise, you can never know if that's a sound or if it's the voice of God. When you get to the point where these tongues cease, when you no longer have that, you now have the written word of God. Now you can be certain and sure that you are listening to the voice of God. Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer is pastor of Mount Calvary Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas. He's author of the book, Reading Isaiah with Luther. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas. He posts theology on the YouTube channel, Wolf Miller One, and he's author of several books, including Has American Christianity Failed?, you can purchase His American Christianity Failed and Reading Isaiah with Luther on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, thank you. Oh, great to be here, Todd. And Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, thank you. You got it. When we come back, it's listener email, talk back at issuesetc.org and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. This new resource will help you navigate God's Word with clarity and confidence. Ten questions to ask every time you read the Bible is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number 1-800-325-3040 
or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 10 questions to ask every time you read the Bible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, is hosting its annual Sausage Supper on Sunday, November 13th. Carry-out meals are available beginning at 11.30 Sunday morning until 5.30 Sunday evening. St. Paul Lutheran is located three miles off of Interstate 55 on Old Route 66. St. Paul Lutheran's Carry-out Sausage Supper, 11.30 a.m. through 5.30 p.m., Sunday, November 13th, in Hamill, Illinois. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth, Freedom, Vocation, Concordia University, Chicago, cuchicago.edu.